Hi, I'm Craig Turner, host of the Founders for Good podcast. I've spent years working in the tech for good space, and in that time, I've had the privilege of interviewing inspiring impact founders, and I want to share those conversations with you. Why? Because these are the people leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues, from climate to homelessness to health to education and much more. In these conversations, I dig into why these issues exist, possible solutions, how the founder and their business is approaching the problem, and their best kept secrets on how to build a for good company. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Peter Briffitt is the co-founder and CEO of Wagestream. After coming across an article about predatory finance, Peter started to explore the financial support offered to low-income workers, and he was shocked by the lack of fair financial services available. The common practice being payday loan companies targeting people in need with ridiculous repayment terms. So Peter co-founded Wagestream with a vision of providing fair financial services to frontline workers, starting with flexible pay, where workers could stream their earned wages in real time. Fast forward to today, and Wagestream works with 500 plus employers to help over 3 million workers to have full visibility of their pay, stream earned wages, set up automated savings and get access to financial coaching. Peter chats to me about financial well-being and the struggles frontline workers face, how Wagestream is solving that problem, scaling a social impact business and much more. Hey, Peter, pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? Hey, Craig, very well, thanks. Very well. Good. So today we're going to chat about Wagestream and financial wellbeing for frontline workers. Um, first, I guess, as someone who's been involved in a lot of successful businesses over the years, I was quite keen to... And a lot of failures. <laughs> and a lot of failures. We'll come to that as well. Um, keen to hear the story of how you ended up in financial wellbeing, because obviously I think some of your previous businesses are all in very different sectors. Um, but yeah, how, how did you land on the current venture of being in financial wellbeing? As a, you know, as a good... It's a good. It's quite a convoluted story, but the um, based on things I'd done in the past, I um, I, I had a contact, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who's based in Washington D.C. Um, he'd become an investor. I used to know him at Living Social when I sort of ran that in the UK, um, and he had he had sent myself and my co-founder, who I hadn't actually met at the time, um, an article. Um, in the Wall Street Journal about Walmart, which is the biggest retailer on earth, and about how they were trying to figure out if they could provide a flexible pay option for their staff to see if it would drive better attention of staff, see if staff were more productive and did more shifts, etc. It was quite a good article. We, 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 I read it and I thought, what an amazing concept. Now that you know a lot of these workplace systems, TNA systems as are API, you know, cloud-based as their payroll systems are. So we can actually, as a third party, come and connect to those systems and provide a solution to staff that would ultimately allow them to choose when they get paid and stop them falling to debt between pay cycles. And because I was living in London at the time, I knew in the US everyone gets paid every two weeks. Um, far more frequent pay cycles, even from Donald Trump to if you work at McDonald's, everyone gets paid every two weeks. Whereas in the UK and Europe, it's very much gone to monthly. And uh, that provides, you know, a lot of stress. And the whole prevalence of payday loans came out on the back of that type of um, extension of pay cycles. I thought it's an amazing idea. Um, so that was the that was the sort of genesis of it was literally an article. And then, you know, my my friend, Greg, this guy called Greg, put, us in, put me in touch with my co-founder and we started talking and we just thought this isn't a great great thing we could do if we can you know kill off predatory finance um and look after low-income workers and get them in better financial health we thought 
this would just be an amazing concept. And I've done quite a few things in the past and we felt this is something that could really do some good in the world and be a great legacy. Um, we had no idea about fintech. We had no idea about enterprise sales. We had no idea how hard it would actually be. We just thought it was a great, great idea. So um, myself, my co-founder, so he, he, this Portman, so he flew, he, he lived in California. We started talking, he flew in and then um, we ended up literally you know, spending a whole day walking around Windsor, bizarrely, because it was close to Heathrow, asking all these restaurants and bars, what do you guys think if you could choose when you got paid? And everyone was like, where do I sign up? Where do I sign up? <laughs> um, and then we thought this probably is regulated. It's fintech, it's finance. We called the FCA. And bizarrely, if you call the FCA, they pick up. We called them from a phone box in Windsor. They picked up first time, but they couldn't tell us whether this was regulated. And then they passed to someone else, another department. And this went on for about five minutes. We realized actually this is on. If they don't know, we'll just assume and um, we'll get on with it. So yeah, it was, that was the sort of the reason behind it. And it's, you know, very much around financial well-being. Didn't really, this was in 2018. Um, I was only 19 at the time. So I've aged considerably in this startup. <laughs> but it's, it's um, it was, it, you know, that really wasn't a concept. It wasn't something large enterprises were buying. They didn't really know what it was. Um, so it's been a journey just to sort of talk about financial well-being and, and how that has an impact on people's lives. So that's now sort of a thing, uh, but it certainly wasn't five years ago. So it's it, it's not like we we didn't we didn't wake up one day saying we're going to start a financial well-being company because no one knew what that meant. Um, but we did decide that actually, you know, if we can get people in better financial health, especially lower income workers, shift workers. We thought that was an amazing thing to achieve, knowing that, um, you know, they they just never get treated fairly by banks is is what we've really learned in the last five years. They get absolutely screwed by banks. Um, and, and the main reason for that is banks see lower income workers as a risk. You've got volatile pay, you've got low income, you don't give us big deposits, and therefore, we can't take your money and do clever things. We can't make more money out of you. And therefore, you're a cost to us, really. We'll pretend we like you or want your account. We don't really want your account. And therefore, you know, if you go into overdraft, we'll charge you. If you want financial advice, we'll charge you. If you want a loan, we can't serve you because you haven't got a good credit score. So all these types of things. And it's not like they set up shop to you know, screw low-income workers. They just don't want... They just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a risk. And banks look at people as an individual you are a low-income work on volatile pay no deposits you're a risk or oh, oligarch lots of money <laughs> um huge huge deposits can do things with that money you know yeah. oh you're not a risk come in sir let's take you to wimbledon let's 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 um you know look after you let's wine and dine you etc and that's obviously two extremes but you know banks like middle income workers steady pay um and that, that they can sell mortgages to and, and other things and they don't really like lower income workers so um that's something we're trying to solve and um a lot lots to unpack there and um yeah before i'd like to dive into the company and, and yeah, that was a lot yeah yeah um but i always like to talk a bit more about the space and you already started to give some context there but i guess stepping back from it all and, and coming back to your point about financial well-being being kind of like a, a newish term or concept in the last like five years what's your definition of financial well-being i think ultimately it's a feeling of being in control so you know if you are f not stressed about your finances you're in control and that means you're in control of your finances you know what's coming you know you can take care of your expenses that is ultimately for me um the way you measure financial well-being 
Um, it's, you know, not being in control of your finances, feeling very stressed about money, hiding bills under the carpet because you don't want to deal with them. That's ultimately, you know, the, the, the really negative sort of, you know, what the other side of the coin that, that means that that impacts a lot of areas of your life from your mental health, even the physical, all these types of other well-being. So it's, it's really a feeling of control. And I think that's something we really look to do through technology is how can we give our users a, a feeling of control uh, they're in charge of their money. That's it makes a huge difference to people's lives. Hundred percent. And with the focus specifically on like frontline workers and, and trying to paint a picture of like the types of situations that they're dealing with every day and, and how that leads to financial difficulties. Obviously, you talked about the um, like payment frequencies. So, like especially in the UK and Europe, where it's a month, it's a long time to wait. And these be lower incomes. Like I guess these are quite often people on like minimum wage, and you have cost of living crisis. So it's the fact of it is really about the pay regularity versus the fact that bills aren't always paid the day after your payday. So there's normally gaps and deficits happen during the month, and, and that's the biggest issue that they face. Or is it other problems as well on top of that? No, I think I think obviously the the problems have been um ex- you know have come to the fore with the cost of living crisis and and every you know, everyone's financial life is being impacted really regardless of, you know, your income levels. I think just it, it's happening, it's happening across, but the impact is felt much more heavily if you're a lower income worker because, you know, general inflation from food to, you know, those things take a much bigger portion out of your paycheck um, than a middle middle income earner. So you're going to feel the stress of high inflation and cost of living more than any other category. Um, but we look at it, we, it's interesting what you say. I mean, Pay frequency is really important because it it stops you being dictated to when your payday is and it gets you, you you can be in charge of when you need to take care of things. But that's only really one slice of the of the well-being pizza, if you like. One thing we did early on when because basically with Wavestream, we will we 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 are solely focused on providing fair financial services to frontline workers. So think, you know, large shift, you know medical you know nhs to you know waiters waitresses healthcare um or you know those retail retail staff so any 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 you know shift worker really um and in the, when we go into a company like a burger king we access their workforce management system so we can show the employee in real time how much they're earning um and that what that's what we call track um and we put that in the app and that had a massive impact on people because we hadn't understood at the beginning. And we just have this data because we need that data to provide, um, you know, the service we offer, which is flexible pay. Um, and we just put that data in the app so people could see for the first time in real time how much they were earning. And we didn't realize how important that was to people, just visibility of earnings, because most shift workers do not have that information, right? It, they, they you, you know, you go into even a Starbucks now and they've got a rotor on the board in the staff room and that is how they know what they're doing that week and they write it down or they put it into notes or some people have spreadsheets and they're working out themselves how much they're earning whereas we're able now to put it in their palm of their hands this is how much you're earning in real time and when you connect open banking data to that so we can see all their spend then you can create this like financial fitbit which shows them in real time you know, how much you're earning, where, what you're going to be spending this month, and do you need to do another shift or are you going to be in financial hardship in a few weeks? And that visibility is probably the first foundation block of providing people with control. Forget about, you know, accessing your pay, just give people visibility. I mean, I'm a salaried worker. 
um, as they say in Japan, and you, and and everyone, you know, if you're a white collar worker or thought work, whatever everyone will calls them these days, um, I have a salary. I know what I'm going to get paid every month. It's always disappointing, but it's it, I know what it is going to get. I know what I'm going to get paid every month. So I I don't need. You know, but if you're a shift worker, you just don't know. You've got different. You've, you you may have ten or twelve different types of shifts you take from overtime, different times, um, different hours in particular weeks. So your your pay is 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 not obvious to you, and when, what you what you earn isn't going to be obvious to you. So we show people in real time how much they're getting paid, and it really helps them. So I think that's that was one thing we did which we didn't realise. But that when you think about financial well being, it's about um, you know, visibility of earnings. It's about choosing, you know, when you need your money um, in order to take care of bills so you don't fall into debt. Um, knowing also that our user base, our, you know, banks charge them for overdraft and et cetera. Um, and then even things like savings now, we with the NHS, we have a 5% savings rate. Every time they complete a shift, we round down the monetary value of that shift and put it into a savings account for them. So they're constantly saving throughout the month. Um, and you're building up that savings buffer. And what does that do? That makes you feel more in control. I've got, I can take care of something. Um, I've got a buffer of savings. I've got some, and, you know, for hundreds of thousands of NHS workers, this is the first time they've saved ever or started a savings program. So we find those things when we look at that, it's like just every product we ship has to enhance that control element, I guess, and give people... Um, access but it was interesting that visibility was one of the key things and that's why you know when we have a company typically 70 or 80 percent of staff will enroll in wage stream only 50 percent of those may stream their wages everyone else is just looking at how much they're earning um, and that's been a real key deliverable through the product because i i hadn't when we started i had no concept of the i mean i was a shift worker back in the day working in pubs but i just got paid cash every day and that was that was thanks very much um, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, so knowing what you're earning and showing people what they're spending and having it all in like a Fitbit type thing is is really, really powerful. Yeah, it's, it's really clever. Yeah, it took me back as well. Yeah, I used to work in restaurants and the supermarket and I remember having to like tally up my shifts and try to figure out how much money I was going to have at the end of the month so I could go out and right. do what I wanted to do when I was like 16. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- I can yeah. tell you, no one's, I, even now, I, I've never had a paycheck and I've gone, oh, that's amazing. It's always, oh, I thought it was more. I mean, have you ever received a paycheck when you went, woohoo, maybe once <laughs> in your life and then some change or something that you didn't realize? But most of the time it's, oh, I thought it was more. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think once I received a paycheck, I was absolutely blown away by it and then um, looked at the tax and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they just get done in a different right, yeah. way um yeah yeah no it's really interesting so yeah when i think of financial well-being i try and like break it into like two blocks it's like source of income like how and when you'll be paid so like where the money's coming from and then secondly then once you have that money what you're doing with it like how are you spending and saving that money which sounds like wage stream hits like both of those areas um one last question peter before we move on to wage stream what is the role of the employer in your view when it comes to like the financial well-being of workers? Like how is it important for them to get involved with this and, and like what's the return investment, the benefit for them? No, it's, it's massively important. I mean, the way we think about it now is, is, you know, a bank sees an individual either as an asset or a risk and they see lower income workers as a risk where em- employers 100% of the time see their workforce as an asset. It's their greatest asset. 
whether you're in retail, whether you're in hospitality, whether you're in healthcare, you can imagine the NHS without nurses and doctors. It's their biggest asset. So we found that what we now term workplace finance is our, you know, we're using technology to provide fairer financial services through the employer to that individual user. And in many cases, the employer will subsidize these services because they're, so, you know, they're sold into the employer's benefits um, and and they will subsidize the cost of those so that the employee gets it for almost nothing or in, in, in you know, financial coaching case that we have in the app now is, is for free. And what, what the employer wants is they want their people to be happy. They want their, and that, and they want better retention. They want, they want to retain their staff. Most of our clients, certainly in hospitality, lose 70% of their staff every year. That's normal. They, you know, you high five if it's only 70%. We've got clients that lose more. So retaining staff means your, you know, your service levels go up. You can provide a better service to your, to your uh, customers. Retention is massively important. And even a five or 6% gain in retention can save a large, large workforce, you know, millions. The other thing is productivity, which is really interesting. We found with flexible pay, um, and this is over across, you know, 400,000, you know, shift workers. We looked at they, they, people that have flexible pay, employees have do 11% more shifts in, in a pay cycle. Um, simply because, you know, if I'm a nurse today, it's, um, you know, I, and if I did a shift today in an NHS hospital, I'm not going to get paid that now until if I'm lucky the end of June, but probably the end of July, because pace, they get paid sort of in the early twenties of the month and this pay cycle's locked. So that's six weeks. Whereas if I did a, a shift today, um, I could get paid with waste stream immediately. So people just have a bigger shift uptake. And of course, it's easy to recruit people through job ads if you mention you have uh, financial, you know, well-being assets in certainly flexible pay, saving schemes. People will take those jobs above ones that don't. So those are the business reasons for it. Um, but the great thing is we can we can move the risk from you know individual risk and put it onto the corporate entity. And that, of course, that's almost zero risk when you're talking things like the NHS, which means we can provide far cheaper services to that workforce and that once I'll never get from banks. So that's how it sort of works. So the employer is critical and, you know, what people don't realise and sometimes the employer doesn't realise, they are very often the most positive financial institution in that in their employees' lives because they actually pay them, whereas everyone else is trying to take, take from them. Um, the employer pays them money, whether it's monthly, whether it's weekly, whether it's flexibly, but they pay them, you know, they have a positive financial institution in that individual's life because they're giving something as opposed to everyone else that's taking it, which we all know about. No, it's all really clever. And I, yeah, I think I, I can't remember what the source was, but someone came on the show and they talked about um, the employer is like one of the most trusted sources for a person like in their life. When you rank, rank kind of like yeah. government and different places, like employers actually very high scoring. Right. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a great... no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's talk about Wagestream then. And, and you've touched on it throughout the last few answers in terms of the different services, but just to recap and bring it all into one, um, in terms of Wagestream and what you do for employees and workers, can you just talk through those four different areas that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, certainly. So we, you know, we, we're looking at a whole suite of, you know, financial services really that, that, are, that are sold through into the employer and they're given as benefits to, um, staff. So you'll have, 
you know, there's multiple products now in the app. So you have obviously the the whole track visibility of earnings, this financial fit bit with open banking. We have flexible pay. You choose whenever you get paid. We allow you to save direct from salary to save after every shift with like 5% savings. We're actually thinking about doing a 10% savings product as well. So we can give these amazing rates that is subsidized by the employer, by the way, these amazing rates to um, you know, to, to the employee base that they would never be able to get from banks. Um, and the fourth one is education, um, which we haven't really talked about. We started off in the app just by, you know, having static educational content in the app. Um, and we thought, oh, that's great. That, that does the job. And then we realized no human in the history of, um, civilization has ever got home after a day's work and read the budgeting brochure, their company. <laughs> sent them oh god yes i've got a minute now let me go and read that um you know people's financial needs are very you know that when you need something you want it then and if you don't need it you're not probably going to absorb that so having we've now got an ai coach in the app so um backed by humans as well but it, it allows people to ask questions when they need answers and then we can either serve them up content or we can answer those questions directly so that that financial coaching element again subsidized by employers means that you know a workforce can access financial education but also financial it's not advice because we're not regulated but just financial coaching to help them with budgeting or with access to these things um and that's really helpful because they don't you know banks will not give them that 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 type of service and then then on top of that now we've got vouchers in the app so all the grocers now we've got you can get discounts all the major retailers and grocers in the app directly from your salary that just saves people money and we've got sick, sickness insurance products in the app which are awesome um which means if you go on if you know if you're off sick for too long then we can pay your wage for you um so you, you don't get financially punished for that um so quite a plethora of new products coming in um that all sit around that financial well-being um type of solution um the the pillars there are track um stream and and save and and obviously you know coach as well those are the four pillars we're building a lot of other solutions around and we're trying to figure out now how we can increase credit scores with our users because that's something that is massively detrimental to people if you don't have a good credit i'm sure you have a good credit score um craig but if you don't it's hard for people to get access to any type of financial um, you know, products that we would normally take for granted. And therefore they fall, you know, that's when you fall into hands of predatory lenders or, you know, you, you, you get charged a lot more if you have a bad credit rating, which is a really annoying concept because actually those are the people that need fair financial products more, but they get charged more if you have a bad credit score. But that's how, that's how the game works. Nice. I mean, there's so much there how you're helping people and you make it all sound so simple, but I, I have to imagine those first few years were really challenging. I was quite interested to see where you thought like the biggest challenge lay with what you were building. Cause you said like when you started out with Portman, some naivety, didn't know much about the space, called the FCA. They didn't seem to know either. Have some of the big challenges been around um, like the complexity of technology and having to integrate with all these different systems, the real-time updates, how make sure everything feeds through properly? Or is it a bit more like actually you talked about financial well-being wasn't really known about five years ago, so it's been like the education around the sector or has it been something completely Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And by the way, you know, Port, I'm, not, I'm not the clever one, so Portman does <laughs> all, all the technology. And he always says it's easy. It's not. It's, it's, it's quite complicated. but And everything's a challenge, I guess, when you start. But you're right, the biggest challenge was education and actually 
you know, convincing our first clients to to actually set, to, 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 to to come on board. I mean, think like when we started, I thought this was such a great idea that there'd be, there'd literally be a queue of CEOs outside the door waiting with with pens. Wait, can, where can I sign up for Wayfair? <laughs> and she or he, when can I get in? Now, when can I? Is there a waiting list? Can I get on the waiting list? Um, and you know, we sort of you know, Portman built the original app, and there there was no queue. We didn't, you know, that we didn't have to reinforce the doors. There was, there was absolutely no one. Um, and then, you know, when we started talking to potential clients, they were like, oh, wait a minute, what's this? Is this a, what's this money on an app? What wizardry is this? This can't be, no, no, we have monthly pay cycles or we don't, no, no, people need to learn to budget or, um, this could be dangerous. This could be misused. So we were hit by all these objections that we hadn't even, we thought this, what? I was like, wait, guys. Your staff are going falling into hands of predatory lenders. Um, you know they're, they're under a lot of financial stress. Surely, this, but the, you know that was not the way that it went down. So, convincing people and trying to change their perception of you know how frequency of pay can actually really help someone's financial life took a long time, um, and it's not. It wasn't easy. And we again, you know, being idiots, we didn't realise you know enterprise sales as well is is really difficult. Um, because you're asking a large company with a lot of career professionals in to trust a small company, right? With, you know, what we, we thought it was completely safe, but for them is this, you're a risk, you know, if they, you know, we're in startup land, we're all high risk. We assume everyone's high risk. No, no, no. Right. If you're in a big corporate and you're a career professional, you're, you're low risk and we're high risk. So those things, you know, don't, don't particularly match. And I hadn't actually understood that really that actually you know in our first customers and um, we love them to death still you know t- t- did take a risk on us because you know we we ha- we weren't established we didn't have credibility we've learned now that you know now we've got a lot of clients luckily very lucky though that's what really builds up your credibility because we, we we're safe now um in the uk and it and it, it wasn't the case at the beginning so i think you know the number one issue at the early doors was just trying to get clients because we thought they'd flock to us they did not um, and you know, enterprise sales is is tough uh, because you know we make decisions every minute; they make decisions every year. Uh, these, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons yeah, yeah. why. Um, you know, and if I, if I if I ever started a bit, I always you know SME would probably be you know if you want to get some early traction, it's probably a lot easier going to smaller businesses that have single decision makers and they can you know more risk they're more risk appetite. Whereas large enterprise, probably quite rightly, has has no risk appetite and people aren't sometimes aren't thinking about the well-being of their staff they're thinking about will this wreck my career (laughs) a little break from the show if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this the good news is you can go and visit www.jobsforgood.io where they only have four good companies on their platform ranging from social justice to food waste to climate change and much more You can filter jobs by impact area, preferred way of working, skill sets, and find the perfect company and position for you. So if you do one thing today, check out www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. It's so true. I mean, as someone, I spent, I think, the first half of my career in in corporate and enterprise, and and you'd have to meet and sell to 15 different people, months and months can go by, versus with startups I work with now it's mainly one or two decision makers and a very quick decision. <laughs> so I, I can totally appreciate how that was going to be challenging. Yeah. With large enterprises, it's never one person, is it? It's a, you know, I mean, I always laugh. I could say, look, you can give gold bullion, 
to a large enterprise, free gold, right? And they still, no, 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 we need, a, we need, I need to talk to my <laughs> colleagues. What? This is free gold. I'm giving you gold bullion. But no, they, it's consensus decision making with a lot of, um, you know, potentially politics and this and that. And it's just, you've got to navigate that. And it's, um, not easy, but, you know, persistence does pay off, I think, in the end, because you'll always find someone that will, that will take that risk because they really believe in it. But it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not easy, I'd say. Mm-hmm. No. And and so coming out of it the other end, can you talk me through like how big is WageStream today in terms of like customers, active users on the app, revenue funding? Yeah, we've well we've we've got um three million um users now that have access to WageStream. So and think about that across this is sort of you know, we've got UK, we're in US, we're in um Spain as well. Um, but we've got, you know, 750,000 NHS workers, um, on the app now. We've done a lot of work with healthcare during the pandemic and beyond, um, retail, hospitality, logistics, those types of big shift working sectors. So yeah, we've got a big base now of, of users. We've got over 500 clients, um, and from sort of Asda's to the co-ops to, to Burger Kings to Green King to Pizza Express, those types of, of brands are seeing, you know, a real, benefit of actually these are key ben- like you know i always say what is the biggiggest benefit a company gives you and, and everyone said i don't know well it's probably pay try not paying people and see how long they stick around <laughs> right don't say uh, you know we've reviewed our benefits but we're going to lose the pay one and you guys can keep the yoga classes and the table football i don't think that's ever happened in the hit so you know there is no bigger benefit than pay no one will debate so having and more financial, you know, more benefits around pay, make it flexible, make it real, allow people to save from it. Um, all these types of tools make are really powerful. And um, I think, I think, they, I think people are seeing, you know, the benefits of that. So, you know, we've raised, we, we're very lucky. We've got great investors with Bolton, QED, um, you know, North Zone, Smash, uh, Local Globe. We've got some great investors that have supported us massively. Um, and we're able to, you know, continue to, to expand and, and build the business. And, you know, we're starting to see now, you know, this flywheel of, you know, the more clients we get, the more clients that, that are interested or want to talk about it. We have now, we've been around five years. You've got people moving from different corporates, taking us with them. You've got users demanding it when they go into new jobs. So it's sort of, that sort of flywheel started now. So uh, certainly in the UK, we're still, you know, building out in the US and, but it's, it's, yeah, it, it's good. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's now, it's, 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 a, it's becoming a strong business, definitely. Awesome. And, and I was going to ask about the kind of the growth strategy, especially when you look at going into a new market. Cause I think you mentioned obviously America, Spain, I, I think you're in Australia as well. Like how do you decide on, like why you would go into one of those markets and second question which is more of a general one is like the growth so far is that, has that been organic or have there been opportunities to grow through acquisition as well over the years yeah no we we um we it's all organic apart from australia which by the way we sold now so we acquired australia okay. um we've acquired an uh, way access business in australia that we've now sold to human force which is one of our partners out there um so we we but all organic growth in uk spain and the us um i think our when we look at anything now, M and A wise, we feel pretty comfortable with our, you know, earned wage access technology. We can build out the, the foundation blocks, but it's all it's almost looking at now. Certainly in the UK, we're really focused on product and how we can deliver more product. And if there's any adjacencies we could buy in, I think that's what we'd we'd probably look to do in Europe. But yeah, I mean, originally again, not na- naivety of founders, we said, well, th- we can do this anywhere. We can do this in any country. 
um, on Earth, um, it will be no problem. It'll be a global platform. But again, that isn't the case, right? With certainly with, you know, with fintech, we need banking rails. We need, there's different payment infrastructure, there's different regulation, there's different cultures in all, obviously all these countries, which mean it's just, it's a challenge and you're still having to pay what we call the education tax, which we spoke about, you know, was our biggest challenge at the beginning. Every new country, you have to pay the education tax and that takes time because you've got to educate the buyers that this is actually really, really a good thing. And it's, it's not obvious to a lot of people. So that's, that's, that just costs. So I think we've now really, you know, we're, we're honed in on the UK, Spain, in Spain, Portugal now and, and uh, the US because there's such big markets for us and there's still a huge amount of opportunity for us in those markets. So starting another, well, like in the early days, we'd just start anything. Now we realize it's, it's just, it just, it takes a lot of lift to just get a country going, especially the US because it's just, yeah, huge. <laughs> big. Um, and then the next thing I want to ask you about was the social charter set up. So Wagestream has a social charter, um, not something that I have actually come across that much considering I interview founders of Tech for Good Businesses on my podcast every week. Um, could you explain to listeners like what is a social charter and, and how does that affect how the business is run? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a good question. So we, um, one of our original investors, Fair by Design, um, which is a social impact investor and their LPs of that fund are Joseph Roundtree, Barrow Cadbury, Big Society Capital. So these big, you know, in this case, big social impact charities that will fund projects um, that they believe are going to have a positive social impact. And their and the Fair by Design Fund, their whole premise was, um, you know, we are trying to reduce the poverty premium. And the poverty premium is essentially the more money that a lower income worker has to spend on things um, just because they're lower income, which is which is which is ridiculous. Whether it's their insurance, whether it's their utility bills, if you if you can't if you haven't got credit score to have a direct debit you're paying more for your electrons than oligarchs which is ridiculous you're paying more for financial services and obviously we were targeting reducing the poverty premium for financial services and fair by design this is our seed investor they decided to fund us um, on the basis that in our articles of association which is sort of how that you know which is on company's house or the company set up that we put a social charter in there to say every single thing we do as a business has to have a positive impact on uh, the poverty premium for frontline workers and we'd set up the business with that um we, you know, we love that because we thought actually if we put this into our articles it keeps us honest throughout the journey any other investors that come in also have to sign up to that social charter they can't say hey guys i've got this idea about a very high interest loan or you know it's because it's very easy i think in finance to make more money by actually being you know you can you can be quite aggressive with things in 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 finance it's it's easy to go down a wrong path i think um because some you know i will charge more interest or i will charge more fees or i will do this or that so um having that social charter i think it's a a, it, it was our foundation block will never be removed. B, it sets our sort of course on on what we're going to do. And we often re- reference there at Waste Street, like, does that sit with our social charter? Is that something that, you know, we can we can do? Well, certainly when it comes to product. And it's also, I think, a reason a lot of people are at Waste Street because that's something they, they know has to stay. So, yeah, it, it was a big deal and still is. I mean, it hasn't changed. Um, so, and, and, to be, to, and the great thing is all our investors like, yeah, okay, we, we, we have to sign up for that. Nice. And um, one of the things you touched on there was like kind of revenue model and how you can make money and getting the balance right. And especially when you have the guiding principles of a social charter, um, you make sure you're doing things the right way. What, what is the revenue model for wage stream? Because I think you mentioned earlier that a lot of it's subsidized by the employer. 
is there any cost yeah. as well towards the employee like if they're using certain features there is so the original yeah the the there's two costs so the employer will pay a SAS fee um and that ba- that's based now around you know all the all the financial services that we're going to we're going to we're going to give them um so they'll pay a monthly SAS fee and in some cases the employee also pays a transaction charge when they withdraw some of their wages and that's 1 pound 75 it's not changed since the beginning um, and that, but actually more and more companies are paying that fee oh, cool. now for their staff. Our, our intent as a business was to put all the cost onto the employer because, and, and if they're, you know, if they're getting better attention of staff, if staff are being more productive, it's easy to recruit, um, some employees, then those things all make sense to them. Um, so we're, we are, you know, we, that's the intent, but yeah, there's, there's two charges essentially at the moment. So there'll be a SAS fee and then there'll be a transaction charge as well. Got it. And um, kind of last couple of questions about Wagestream. Um, one was about like financing, and you, and you mentioned like had had the privilege of getting some great investors on board. Um, I think it was last year you did your last big raise, which was one hundred seventy five million dollars, and I think two thirds of that was through debt financing. Um, again, just for the listeners and, and for myself, and honest, like, can you explain like what what is debt financing, and why was that kind of uh, the route you decided to go down for a big portion of the the raise? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. Actually, we don't, we don't talk. So, yeah. So we, in order for us to facilitate flexible pay, we actually fund it. So if I work at, you know, if I work at Burger King and I have the wage stream app and I access some of my wages, it goes into my account in a few seconds and it says Burger King on my bank statement. So it's a set, exactly the same as, as, as my pay says when it comes in every month. But we've actually funded that Burger King, you know, the, the, the business hasn't. Um, so we've, we, and at the beginning, we thought, well, the company can just fund this because they've got to pay people anyway. But it, but that, you know, that the, there isn't a reason people have gone to monthly pay cycles. And that's, it's down to, there's a lot of expense running payroll and also just for cash flow reasons. So as a business, we fund all these, um, withdrawals of wages, although we do it on behalf of the company, if that makes sense. So in order for us to operate flexible pay, we need a large credit facility. Um, and, you know, because, you know, four or five million pounds a day are being withdrawn in in wages and that needs to be funded by a facility. So that's why, you know, when we do a fundraise, um, which, you know, we have equity funding, which obviously allows us to operate the business. And then we'll also raise... Um, from debt providers so that we that's a separate facility that allows that that is pulled from and you know we recover it every time a company pays their staff again makes total sense <laughs> um now you've explained it um and then yeah final question for for the wage stream front is is just um like main focus for the next couple of years so what what can we expect to see from wage stream that you're excited about yeah no we're really excited about new product we 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 think you know we, we we've got a a credit builder credit card coming we're starting to leverage a lot of ai tools with open banking data and um you know shift data these are the two data set i mean everyone can get open banking data um is a fintech but no one has this real-time shift data and we think the combination of those two data sets um with with a with an ai tool to help people manage and understand and budget and 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 you know look after their finances we think that's really interesting we're starting to we're starting to experiment with that now so there's there's a lot of new product coming in the uk um we've got some great customers as well lined up and i think we're, we're really excited about that and we're also excited about the opportunities in the in the us we work very closely with some partners um and there's some great opportunities out there and i think you know if we can 
you know, do what we did in the in, in the US and you know, do what we did in the UK and the US, I think we would be really proud because that's 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 a big challenge of any fintech to to have two good businesses on both sides of the Atlantic is a challenge. So I think those are the things that sort of get us very excited, but also keep us awake at night. <laughs> Hundred percent, and um, I guess next one is chat a little bit more about yourself because you've got a really fascinating profile. Like I said earlier, you, you've run a number of businesses. I know you've said you've had quite a few failures, but also quite a lot of success as well. Like I, I can't remember the exact number, but is it like four or five of your businesses have exited successfully? So yeah, right, probably about that. Yeah, and about ten have failed miserably. Um, <laughs> but they, but yeah, I've, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. It's been and it's. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. I say it gets easier. I think it's certainly. I think you get more attuned to what's important, and you know, so you, it may get easier. But a lot of it's a mix of luck and opportunity and hard work. I think there's no. I've I've always I keep trying. Can you? Can, is there a way to do this without hard work? But it just doesn't. <laughs> unfortunately, I wish. Um, but it, it, it doesn't happen like that. So I think, yeah, no, I've been, I've been, um, I've done some good things and some bad things, but I guess in the, in the, in the, in, if you think they all, you learn from all of them, right? I learned that, you know, trying to corner the champagne market in China was, was not, <laughs> not going to work. Um, I just have to learn to give up sooner. I think as I keep going, that's a trouble when, when all else, when it's full falling around you. But no, I think we're really proud with wave streams. I think, you know, that there's a lot of things I've done that, whilst they may have been successful at the time, they, they're quite fleeting as technology advances. Whereas I think, you know, if we can change the game for frontline workers and provide them with literally get the employer to become the bank for them, um, that's going to change the whole dynamic for them in terms of how they receive financial services because 400 years of banking has not helped them, whereas an employer can definitely help them. And the technology is available now to allow that to happen. So, it, and it just wasn't something that could happen you know, 10 years ago, but it's something that can happen now. Yeah. So I was going to say that I, you know, as someone who's operated that many businesses, um, it takes a huge amount of drive and motivation, especially when you keep going back and doing it again and again. Um, and I imagine I, this is my last one. This is my last one. You, you say that I'm sure we're going to be chatting in five, 10 years time and you'll have something new to work on. But I was going to say like, do you find, have you found that motivation has changed? Cause I assume a uh, massive assumption here, but I assume you're fairly financially secure. You wouldn't don't just need to work. I don't need to work as hard as being a founder of a scaling startup. Do you think it's like the social impact side has been like the big change from a motivation perspective? And that's like, what- yes, massively, massively. I think that's, we, we, you know, our intent is to help people that drives most people here. It's not to monetize. I mean, obviously, you know, we need to be a, a standalone business, but I think that drive to change, you know, how people see financial services and, and, and actually help people and, and we get the positive feedback from that, get the positive feedback from my clients. I think that really does drive us. And I think, you know, Wavestream definitely being a social impact business, being a B Corp, those types of things have, yeah, there's a reason a lot of people are here basically. So we think about that stuff a lot. I think it's definitely a driver. Um, but I just, and also it's exciting. I don't think, you know, I've, when I've sold companies to large corporates and then gone on to work for those corporates for a sort of period of time, I've, I've always gone, yeah, it's not as exciting as for me at least then building something from nothing. And then every time I do it, I go, this is stupid. This is stupid. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. If uh, <laughs> I'll look you up in a few years time <laughs> yeah. and see where you are. In five years, yeah. And then um, my final section of the pod is always chatting about like actually how you go out building a tech for good business. So we're looking at like people, culture, values. 
knowing from day one that Wagestream was going to be a social impact slash tech for good business, like obviously we talked about the social charter earlier, but was there anything else in the early, early days that you really focused on to make sure like we need to get this right if we want to scale this kind of social impact model? No, I just think being true to your values, right? It's, you don't, you know, having, we had a very clear mission that has never changed. You know, we want to provide fair financial services uh, to frontline workers and we're going to do that by making the employee the bank. Um, and we we haven't changed from that. Um, and it doesn't mean that works for everyone because sometimes you have to change what you're doing as a, as a startup. But I think being very true to that um, has meant that, um, you know, the original clients we got trusted us that that was something that was really important to us so they could trust you know their employee finances with us um so i think that 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 was the reason that we got our original clients and i think that's just important to everyone here to maintain that because it is it is it is easy to go off different paths or divert so i think having a very clear mission from the beginning so this is what we're doing um we don't know how we're going to get there we don't know the route all the roads that lead there but we know this is the goal um then you sort of smash away through somehow is, is, so I think that those things were really important early doors because I think if we hadn't had those principles, it would have been hard for us, A, to get clients, but B, just to try and build a product that actually has an impact. Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of how I look at it is that you need those two things. You need the values of the principles. They're, they're your guiding day-to-day bits of how we make decisions, how do we operate, where do we draw the line, but then you need the direction, you need that future point to aim for. I think that's absolutely critical. I mean, our, our sort of values, what we believe in, sort of came later because when there's three people in a room, you don't really need to come up with that, but you do need a mission and you do need to understand what you're doing um, in terms of what you're trying to get to. Um, Even if that's 20 year journey, 10 year journey, but you need to know where you're heading because it just, everything you do along the way should be a little incremental step to get there. Definitely. And then to talk about talent for a moment, um, I feel like we're in a market at the moment where most companies probably aren't struggling with talent attraction. There's very active candidate pools at the moment. I'd say the challenge for a lot of companies is actually around retention, um, employee retention. Just wondering from your perspective, either if it's just general advice or thoughts on like how best to retain your you know top people in your organization or if it's what Wagestream is specifically doing, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through everything like everyone else in terms of flexible, you know, whatever you know all the way down to sort of you know getting people um, back into the office i think one of the keys we found in order to get everyone behind what you're doing and get people to really enjoy what they're doing is do spend time with people i think you can have hybrid working you can have flex but i think um having people in the same room sometimes is, is really really important so you know we spend a lot of effort on you know social events making sure teams are collaborating together making sure people have social interactions at work and understand what other people are doing i think those things are really key i don't we're, we're not believers in 100% flex you know 100% remote because we haven't i mean some people can make I'm sure can they can make it work but we haven't um, and i think that really matters to people long term that they're doing something they feel that is having an impact and they know that because you know they 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 talk they they spend time with their colleagues they understand how that's impacting business i think those things really help um because you know you can always pay people more for attention. And of course you've got to be fair to people, but I think people work, it's more around, you know, what everyone, everyone in job, they'll always, they'll look back at jobs and go, I love that. But it wasn't, it was always because of the people. It was the people I worked with. It was the people I spent time with. It was a team I was in. And those things have a much higher 
a bar of importance to people, I think. And if you can create a really good working culture that people want to come into work and they want to spend time with people they work with, I think those things massively help retention, um, even though they're they're harder to measure. So we're we're big fans of having people around and people spending time in as in together and not on screens. Um, even though we do a lot of that as well. And then we built a pub in the office, which really got everyone back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, at one, I at one time, I might add the only pub, the only pub open in Britain um, <laughs> during the lockdown era. <laughs> yeah, whose idea was that? I don't think I've ever heard of a, a company having I have a no pub idea. In the office. Whose idea that was? I have no idea. <laughs> no kidding. But we told we we got a bell because when you know with our American investors they were like we're well, not sure we can have a pub in the office we go don't worry you've got a bell as soon as you ring that bell English people just their heads go down they just walk away that's that's the uh, that's what we're that's in our DNA the bell tolls <laughs> and it's time to, it's time to stop so no it's good it's good we do a lot of social events here we do a lot of client events here um, I think all those things just just you know help us get our message out really and final question um you know as someone who works with earlier stage startups normally at the intersection of like them coming from client seed series a to uh series b onwards and they start to hire like on a regular basis the question i always get and we get into discussions about is like when to invest in your own talent function like when to bring your talent team in-house um i believe waystream have their own talent team like for you what was the trigger how do you think about like when you want to start transitioning from external suppliers to in-house yeah, it's all depending on what you. But, but you know, obviously, there's a cost attached to using external um, suppliers in terms of people. But there's also sometimes that that that's the best thing to do because they'll have expertise in a certain field. Um, but I think, and it depends what you're hiring for. If you're hiring sort of more generic like sales roles, and there's a formula, and you know what you want, then I think that's time for an internal recruiter. Um, so I think, yeah, it depends what your scaling plans are as well. But I, we got someone in probably, we had an internal team after about 40 people probably, but we still use third parties as well, um, depending on our hiring needs. But that was, it was about that sort of, and it depends if you, if you're really scaling and you really need, um, you know, a lot of people, then it just much more cost effective probably to have an inside team, um, at some point. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, look, Peter, it's been a real pleasure having the show. Um, for anyone wanting to follow Wagestream, like where are you most active on socials? Uh, LinkedIn. We love LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn. Probably not TikTok, probably LinkedIn. But yeah, <laughs> cool. just follow us on there. That's where we yeah. put most of our stuff. Nice. Yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, cool. Well, Peter, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for coming to the show and um, yeah, wish you all the best. Thanks, Craig. Great to speak to you. Congrats on your wedding. <laughs> Cheers. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about the show. The more people we can get involved, the more hope we have for making the world a better place. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahami and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time. <laughs>